Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back, everyone, to the Flow Track Podcast. Happy Saturday. I'm Kevin. He's Gordon. Flowtrackpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. You can subscribe to the Flow Track Podcast YouTube channel where you can watch the show live and comment. You can also download the show anywhere you listen to audio podcasts. Gordon, the track events are done. It's a wrap. We made it. You made it. I made it. Team USA made it. They ended it with two golds, which is what you like to see after what we saw the rest of the week. But uh, hey, I, I'm I'm thrilled for yet another great Olympics. I thought it was. I mean, there's a lot of good highlights and lowlights, which we'll get into throughout all of next week. Um, but in the end, I'm kind of just like you know, a little bittersweet, right? We've been waiting for this week for so long. It took five years instead of four years and uh mm-hmm. it's over it's weird it's just one thing that's weird about track meets is the final few days it goes so quick because there's all this like mm-hmm. build up of prelims qualification in out this that one-off events here and there and then all of a sudden it's like we're just gonna do five events and it's over and then everyone go home so yep it kind of felt a little uh anticlimactic a bit but there were some good moments today especially with that women's four by four but We'll dive all into it. What what event do you want to talk about first? Or I should tell people where so I before, am. Yeah, first tell people where you are, and then I know right off the bat, people want to know if you lost money or not throughout these last nine days. So I, I guess there's one. There's a marathon left though, too. There's a marathon left, yes. right? So you so could, a, you could change your fortune. I'm in a McDonald's parking lot. Uh, so I got kicked out of the beach house, um, not because of my own doing, but because of the rules. Uh, so I, I don't have the Wi-Fi of the beach house. So I'm using the Wi-Fi of the McDonald's in the parking lot. We did this in 2020 when I went to the beach. So we're back doing it again. As for an update on my betting. So, so far I've betted a total of $4,400, right? That's how much money I gave to the 
casino, and I have won back $4,230. So I'm negative $170. That's how much money I have lost. So after doing $4,400 with the bets, I lost $170, <laughs> which isn't too bad. That's not too bad. Only losing $170, that's almost like breaking even. I do have one bet left, though. I have the Galen Rupp okay. bet. He is plus 550. I have $100 on it. So if he medals, I then will probably, I will be, I will win about $400, basically. Three to, what's, okay. what's 550 minus 170? I don't know. Quick math, right? Uh, I'll win about 300 mm -hmm. some dollars. But if he loses, I lose another 100. So I'm either going to be down $270 or up about three to $400. That is the status okay. after doing 44 bets with one bet to go. And I got screwed over so many times. I had the honest better. Man, he, the, the guy yeah. keeps throwing over 90 meters like 30 times. And he came and make the, the final three throws. I had Grant Holloway winning. He didn't. I had so many people get fourth that I had meddling. So it, it's, been a, it's been a hard one for me. But lesson learned is if you work hard at gambling, you can only lose $170. Come on, you got to I don't admit, think that. Losing $170 is not that bad, right? I just want to flash back to when you were up 900 and I said, walk away. This is a great lesson <laughs> in why you shouldn't. You do all that work and the best you can hope for is to, I'm only losing $100, guys. This is great. Well, maybe Rupp can get some of that Molly Seidel magic in the marathon exactly. and get a medal to close it out for, for USA. Because right now they sit on 26 medals. So... I guess if the U.S. gets a sweep in the marathon tonight, they could get up to, to 29 in, in track and field. But the, the floor here is 26 medals. Do you want to start with the 4 by 4s and then do the individual events? Does that sound good? Yeah. Let's start. All right. Start the highlights. Highlights For here. America, at least. Yeah, <laughs> let's go to the women's. The women's 4 by 4 So the question was answered first that we all wondered for the past month since the Olympic trials, really. Who would be on the team? And I think things shook out the way you expected based on what happened in that open 400. When Allison Felix gets the bronze, when Quinera Hayes doesn't break 50 seconds, looks like she's struggling a bit in the final, you figure they're going to run the, the big four, as we'll call them, McLaughlin, Felix, Muhammad, and Mo. That's precisely what they did. Sydney McLaughlin uh, was a leadoff leg. She ran solid. Splits, I've seen a couple different... Um, Splits and I, I know the first leg is, and second leg are usually tricky to, to sort out because a lot of people have different in terms of where you take the split. But McLaughlin had them in the lead. Uh, Felix held them there. Muhammad blew it open basically with a 48 97. And then a thing Mo closed in a 48 3 for her split, which is one of the fastest splits in history. I saw a list from PJ Vizel's Twitter, it had her in the top 10 all time. They go 316 85. And that is the uh, one of the fastest marks in history, 316.85. It slots in there at number five. Two American teams have run faster, but nobody's run faster than that since 1993. So this was a historically quick race, Gordon. And you had talked about the world record before. Hey, the competition is going to be versus the world record. It's not going to be versus anybody else, which ultimately ended up being true. I was a little bit more hesitant with the world record talk because I thought Doha 2019, there was a chance at the world record because you had two women smash 50 seconds in the open four. And then you came in with McLaughlin and Muhammad and 
they weren't really that close. So that just made me respect that that record even more. So 316 is is a really solid performance for for Team USA. And the margin, it was not close. Poland second in 320, Jamaica 321, which of course the great irony here is we debate and debate and debate about who's going to be on the team. And ultimately, it didn't matter. When you win by four seconds, they had a lot of margin for error. Yeah, obviously it didn't matter. You're so deep that even if two of the of these four were on the team, they still would have won. Um, I am so thrilled that a thing Mo, she had like one shot, right? This was her one shot to tell US Team USATF, mm-hmm. hey, I can be your four, one of your four by four legs from now or till whenever I'm done, right? For the next five to 10 years. And yeah. if she would have gone out there and like kind of like ran like a 50.0 or 50 whatever, I think they would have been like, ah, maybe we shouldn't be trusting these 800 meter runners to be legs on our four by fours. But the fact that she goes out there, runs an all time split, 48.3, just gets me excited because that means she's going to be like a permanent, has a permanent spot on that four by four now. And mm-hmm. it's going to make her career that much more exciting. Because she's talked about wanting to do doubles, the 4-8 double. Mm. Now she could be in that weird realm where she can be collecting 800, 400, and 4 by 4 titles. And it'll just mm-hmm. be a, a unique array of opportunities for her instead of just being... Because typically, you're a distance runner. You just have your one event. And that's all you're in. Like, But she, now she's going to be back and forth between the 4 and the 8. She's always going to have a spot on that 4 by 4 It's going to be exciting to see a thing Mo. These next like four years, especially, you know, 22, 23, 24, 25. And I see how many medals she collects. Yeah. And this was the perfect compilation of stars because you had gold medalists in McLaughlin and Mo. You had silver medalist in Mohammed running as fast as she did in that final. And then, of course, you have the legend, Allison Felix, who, you know, just, just broke that record for most medals um, by a woman in, in history and, and by an American now. So you had just all of the storylines converging on this one team, right? You had old and, and, and young. You had people coming from different events. It was just a – it's what you want to see in a 4 by 4 where it's just not 400-meter runner. Like, that's the beauty of a 4 by 4 Anybody who's run track even at, like, the high school level knows it's fun because it's an all-hands-on-deck type relay you grab anybody from any event whoever is is the strongest at the end of the end of the meet and you put them out there and have them go and you see here that the tweet from nick zicardi uh, most olympic track and field medal so felix goes past carlos we talked about this yesterday and you actually prompted me gordon to do a very gordon thing i busted out a spreadsheet because because you told me we were going to talk later about the goat in terms of not just the olympics but in terms of world championships so i made this spreadsheet where i'm like Breaking down Merlene Audi, Veronica Campbell Brown, Fraser Price, Felix. I got like a column for Elaine Thompson, hurrah, just to like project like what what does she have to do? So this metal, this whole metal count thing has 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 gotten my uh my Google Sheets going here. As much as I like Nick Sicardi, I really don't like these like total metal counts because it involves relays. And like and it, it like removes someone like Brittany Reese, who can't be on a relay. Brittany Reese is getting what, has like 11 global medals when you include out, oh, out world outdoors and stuff like that? Yeah. With yeah. zero relay opportunities, right? So imagine if there's a yeah. long jump relay, maybe she adds another five, right? And she's up to 16. So uh, 
and then, then imagine also, if there you know, was a long jump rollers, really. it's against distance people, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway. It's not at apples. Yeah, it's not apples to orange. And then when you, you bring in the relays, it's tough because your predi- your your success is predicated on three other people uh getting around. Yeah. But yeah, she's I mean, but it, it shows the longevity of the sport. To me, again, I go back to what I said yesterday. The most impressive Felix stat for me is meddling in an individual event in five Olympics. That that jumps out to me. Oh, you were top three in your event um for what seventeen years it spanned now because we had the extra year added on at the end. Let's go to the men's four by four, where there was a little bit more of a question just because the men, these championships have had some underperformances. They've had some unlucky breaks. They've had a lot of silver. They did not have a gold on the track. And then the quartet of Cherry, Norman, Deadman, and Benjamin get it done here and get the win. Close going towards the latter stages of the race. I thought that Deadman put Bry Benjamin in a great position going into the anchor leg, and then he took it. From there, the U.S. ran 255.70. The Dutch, 257.18. Botswana, one of your picks, got the bronze medal there. But U.S., despite all the struggles, ends on a, a positive note. I think if they lost this one, then you'd been like, wait a minute. What is going on here? So the, 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 you need to you need to reevaluate everything here. Something There was some bad luck. Someone opened an umbrella outside. Did a, a black cat caught, cross your path or something? But... For the U.S., luckily, they uh, their, their talent shined through here and, and they got the victory. Yeah. Um, this is what we expected, right? We're talking four by fours. You expect the U.S. to do what they're supposed to do. We didn't have a situation when we lost to Trinidad and Tobago or obviously any, like, weird upsets. It's like, you're the best. You have the deepest team in the quarter mile. We could have – we are – Eighth best 400 meter runner would be on every other country's four by four, right? If you take our, mm-hmm. our the worst leg of our B squad, they would probably be on everyone's A squad. And if you have that depth, you need to be able to put together an Olympic gold. And they did it. I think they probably also felt a little pressure because I think they probably looked back in the team and they're like, man, like we didn't win that mixed relay. Things are happening mm-hmm. in that four by one. Let's like, yeah. Let's end on a good note. And I think that was probably the mantra going into this race. It's like, we just don't overthink it. Just run to your ability put, and put together a good four legs. And they ran fast. They ran a good time. So it wasn't like a, yeah. a little like 257 Like it was 255. So that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious to see the the splits. And it'll be tough just as it is with any 4 by 4 to the first and second legs in particular sort those out because of how people take those splits. But I'd be curious to see Norman's Norman's leg there. Cherry Cherry did a good job. He closed really well, uh, but but it was close. It was close there. And Bryce Deadman for his first time through was real solid. He was a guy who ran well in Europe, so he hinted at how strong he'd be. And then he ran a solid leg in the in the prelim. I thought it was a great idea to close with Benjamin. He's just running with so much confidence right now, and you can see about 150 to go. He was thinking. Man, there's no hurdles. This is amazing. I can just run. I don't need to jump over a single thing. There's no, and and there's not the greatest four-meter hurdler next to me right now trying to trying to beat me. Like this is great. This is a good deal. And I get a gold. Great way to end it for Rye Benjamin. 
I love this uh, graphic that Travis has put that up on the screen. We cur- the U.S. currently has the nine fastest times ever run ever. No one has ever broken it up. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of wild that USA's ninth worst time is better than the rest of the world. It's like a cool little streak. Eventually, a country's going to come in and run a, a 256 or a 255 to kind of break up that top nine mm-hmm. times. But until then, it looks kind of cool, right? You just see all America, and it's very consistent. Yeah. And that 254.29, you – we kind of felt like that might have been in the in the thoughts because when Norman and uh, and Ryan Benjamin were in college, you're kind of thinking, mm-hmm. oh, these two guys, they're going to be together. They're on the same timeline. We know Curly was doing well at that moment. It's like yeah. they just got to find a fourth at the moment, and they could probably flirt with that 254. But now with uh, Norman not 100% being the 43 mid guy that he is, it's a little – I'm not sure if this is the generation that gets it done. I mean, what do you think? Do you think this generation, by generation, I mean the – so, like, a, a, do you think a Rye Benjamin, Michael Norman, 4x4, four four, in the next four years will run a 254.29 or faster? It's a great question. I did see – did Fred Curley tweet out Phase 43 the other day? Meaning, is that his hint? I take everything seriously now that Fred Curley tweets after the <laughs> – the 100 meter silver medal so if he's going back to the 400 yeah maybe like i didn't think this was the strongest the u.s has looked in the quarter this year and they run the fifth or fourth fastest time that they've ever run i know it's a a bit of a jump there down to down to number one all time yeah phase 42 not even phase 43 excuse me phase 42 with curly that was a couple days ago so yes i think it's possible for them to break it in this era because i don't i don't think that i think when you put when you have that cornerstone of of benjamin and he looks pretty solid um in the years to come uh and the u.s look here's the thing the u.s is just always going to crank out 44 second runners that can run 43s on relays so you really just need to get and i know it's tough but you really need to have those those just have line up two of those transcendent stars who can split something ridiculous and then put them together with your other two and there you go i just think when you look at that list what it makes me think is the calculus for us four by success four by four success is really easy and i know this is oversimplifying it because yes when you run fast you run fast but run 255 and you get a gold medal that's what it is run 255 and you get a gold medal so figure out a team that could run 255 and no other country in history has run that so they would have to run their national record and faster than any other team outside of the u.s would have to run to get beat. So the times that the US loses is when they're going outside of that that 255 zone which opens opens them up to to an upset. But that was not the case today. Yeah, I, I am curious though to see these splits. Hopefully we get those uh pretty soon. I know I've been talking a bit about the 2015 World Championships because when Lincoln was on the pod last night we were in the marathon, he was at those championships and that was a meet where the US really did struggle. They only got 18 total medals and six golds and they lost, or sorry, they won the four by four at that meet. That was the only gold on the track, just like the only gold uh, on the track for for this competition. But but the silvers and the bronzes weren't weren't there as well. And I think the women in this competition did much better than they did in in 2015. So looking at 26 total medals right now for the U.S. And those two four by four golds, Gordon, pushed the U.S. past Italy. They're in a tie with the Italians there. 
Yeah. It's wild looking at some of the countries uh, who are in that top tier, like Italy, no, having five golds, and only that—that's—that's their only golds, right? Yeah, their only gold. That's their only medals. Is that five golds, no silvers, no mm-hmm. bronzes? Um, and you know, it's—it's it's always interesting. I think it's like Kenya, like they have they—it's wild what they do. They get nine medals, but you know they're not only in like a third, like. 25% of the mm-hmm. events, right? They only really yeah. focus yeah. on the 800 to the 10K to the marathon. So um, it's interesting yeah. to see what countries are able to show up and put together strong performances. Uh, but you know, it's a good sign when a disappointing year, you could say, is 26 medals like, mm-hmm. for America. It shows the standard they're held to that, like, hey, you have 330 million people in your country. You have the NCA system, like a really good. Mm-hmm reader uh, you know situation to get the best athletes to the top uh you should be able to be number one i will wonder mm-hmm. when was the last time usa wasn't number one in a medal count at a track meet at a global championship olympics or world do you know if it when the last time that was like how long it's been are you just counting total medals total medals yeah uh that's a good question. I'm looking at the – I could go back on – I got the Olympics one open right here. Uh, you'd have to go – I mean, it might be – oh, in, in 2000, it was close, 16 to 13 uh, against Russia. But, yeah, I'd have to do some more. I'd have to do some more yeah. digging. Maybe someone in the chat. Maybe someone in the chat knows. Um, yeah, and and listen, like the you, – you look I, – I looked at the placing table too, so one through eight, and the U.S. is – you know, behind where they were too, which makes sense because if you have fewer gold medals, you're scoring fewer points and everything gets pushed down a bit here too. But as we talked about before, a, a few things break this way, a few things break that way. It's just, it's just so close. You know, the margins are so small here between success, quote unquote, and failure. And Italy is a good example of that. As you mentioned, five medals and they're all gold. And then you look at a team like Great Britain, no gold. And it looked like, oh, they were so close. They ran great in the four by one for the men, just missed. Laura Mir, man, ran so great, but Faith Kipiegon was just a bit better. Josh Kerr ran the race of his life and just gets just gets beaten. Right? Like they they I feel like they were in a lot of things, but didn't get didn't get the gold. Australia felt like they were in a ton of things, uh, mixing it up with a lot of finalists, and they they didn't end up with any gold medals. It's pretty it's pretty wild because so far, 23 nations, I think they've updated this. Yeah, 23 nations have gotten a gold medal. And you'd look at the list of the, some of the countries that didn't get a gold medal, and you'd probably be surprised who's like who hasn't gotten a gold. If I told you 23 nations medal, like you'd think Great Britain would be on that list. You'd think Australia would be on that list. Cuba, with all their, their great jumpers, field event people, Czech Republic, Japan, France, Brazil. Like none of them have have golds. Spain doesn't have a gold. Ukraine with all their jumpers, right? And throwers. I don't know. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. I think I, about. Like I you know could Ukraine doesn't like, have a gold because I bet on her to get gold and it didn't happen. So Yeah. All right, let's go to the let's go to the individual events here. Let's start with the the women's ten thousand which came first this morning. Safan Hassan caps off the Hassanathon with another gold medal. So her total number, two gold, 
one bronze, 24,500 meters. Gezahenge of Bahrain gets the silver. Latensepet G'day, the world record holder, gets the bronze. G'day tried to push this race, Gordon. She did what everybody thought she should do, including us. She tried to make it difficult for Hassan in the final 10,000 meters of this historic triple, but she couldn't shake her. She shaked everybody else. She shook off Helen O'Beary, but she just could not get rid of Stefan Hassan. She ratcheted the pace down. They were running some 70s. The weather was tough. You could tell people were dropping out. It looked incredibly warm out there. So she wasn't running world record pace, but I think she was running about as quick as you could expect. And you could see a little bit over the last four laps, reality set in of, oh, I am not able to get rid of her. And then she put her, took her foot off the gas a bit. I know there was a lap at 75 there towards the end where it seemed like she was saying, all right, well, now I'm going to just gear up for a kick. But at that point, you're not going to win a kicking contest with Safan Hassan in this, in this 10,000 if you're the Sebeka Day. It doesn't matter how many races she's run before. It, at that point, it was, it was written. Um, did it surprise you that Hassan was able to come back after the 1500 and still be so sharp at the back half of this race and stick with the tough pace? Uh, yes and no. Um, the reason why I say no doesn't surprise me is she wouldn't have done it if she didn't think she was capable. She knew what her body was going to feel like going into a 10K after doing three rounds mm -hmm. of 15s and two 5Ks. Um, so she was mentally prepared for it. So it's not like last minute when the coach says you're running the 4x4 four four and you, then you're like, what? I thought I was done. And then you're like, you're not prepared and you might not mm -hmm. handle that last race well. But she knew she was running this 10K for probably many months. And I think she trained for it. So I, I wasn't surprised that, like, she was either going to finish top three or be a DNS. Like, I don't see a situation where she runs for 10K and she's, like, running in the in the middle of the pack, finishing 9th, 10th, 11th. If she's going to be in it, she's going to be up there with the ability to kick, with to see, you know, kind of hoping that, you know, the day doesn't have a once-in-a-lifetime race where she's able to, yeah. and what that's what happened. Yeah. She didn't. She was able to outkick her and also the Bahrainian athlete. Um, but I think the bigger thing that I want to take away from this triple as a whole is we've seen great, like, dominant uh, distance athletes for many years, right? On the men's side, Bekele, uh, Mo Farah, you know, mm -hmm. Everyone, right? We've seen a bunch of people who have been able to do a 5-10 double or they've mm -hmm. been able to dominate for a long time. Do you think what Hassan is doing will open the eyes of other athletes to be like, hey, maybe I, it's, it's possible to do more doubles. It's possible to push yourself. Like, do you think people, do you think this is a once-in-a-lifetime type uh, achievement that no one's ever going to, like, are we going to see more people attempt triples? That's what I'm going to ask. Because clearly, Hassan has showed it's possible, right? Now, again, she is mm -hmm. a, an all-time great athlete, but she did show it's possible. Will we see other athletes be like, hey, I'm going to try. I'm going to give myself three cracks at a medal instead of just going mm -hmm. two cracks at a medal with a 5'10 or two cracks at a medal with a 5'15. You know, will we, 
I, I just I just want to know if you think this is going to change the way athletes approach a world championship with the mind of you're going fishing with a net where you just see how many medals you can catch as opposed to fishing with just one hole, your one event. Like the way Jacob Ingebrigtsen did. He, Jacob probably could have won that 5K, right? But he was like, no, I'm going all in on the 15, right? Just focus on the mm-hmm. 15. Now it worked out, but maybe we see Jacob Ingebrigtsen be more into – doing a 5-15 double because he's seeing an athlete like Safan Hassan do this. I think she's unique. So you mentioned all those people that have done doubles in the past and they were all-time greats. Hassan, obviously an all-time great. But Hassan's skill set is especially suited for this. And what I mean by that is not just she's really good in the 15-5 and the 10. It's just her range in general. She's run 156 in an 800 and 65 and a half. So even before she was winning gold medals and even before she ascended to the top of the sport, like her calling card was her range. And some athletes just have better range. They're just able to, for whatever reason, some physiological feature that they have, they're able to adapt and, and be good at a bunch of different, different distances. Now, early on, she was good at a bunch of different distances, but she wasn't a gold medalist at all of them. Then she, then she was able to apply that and, and pull this off. But no, I think she's unique. I think more people might get a bit more creative. But if you're asking who's going to be able to, you know, given the, given the constraints of the schedule, if you're asking, are we going to see a 15-5-10 double? No, I don't think we're going to – or triple. Excuse me. I'm so conditioned to say the word double. I don't think we're going to see – like we don't even see that in, in sprint events. In the NCAA, we don't yeah. even see that. Like go, like you see that at high in high school, in the United States, and then it then it pretty much stops. But at that point, and I know every meet is different, and when you're trying to get team points, and then when you double, but there's very few instances of of athletes running, competing in three running events throughout one competition. So I think what we're seeing here it's is something not really that, related. Yeah. yeah, exactly, because. Even something like a um, 100, I mean, we saw, you know, we've seen obviously 100, 200 long jump, but you don't see, you don't see one, two, four attempts. You don't see, you know, high hurdle. I mean, you've seen high hurdle, low hurdle before, but you haven't seen that that third non-relay event. And I, I know it's different in running events than it is in technical pursuits, just because you don't have as much time and, and energy to devote to the technical components of the sport. But I really think we're looking at something that we're going to be talking about in in 20, 30 years as still holding up with Hassan. Do you think Mo Farah in his prime could have done a triple? Because he was able to run some quick 1500s during that run. I think he had yeah. end up with a PB of like 328 or something like that. Yeah. Do you think there was any year where, like maybe in like 2012, do you think 2012 a triple mm-hmm. was possible for Mo Farah? That would have been the only, yeah, that, that range would have been his, his target. 2012, 2013, 2015 spot. But no, I really don't because I, yeah, he ran the 328, but how would that have worked out through the rounds? Just the accumulation in her legs by the end of this competition. And listen, we talked about team tactics and how people never did it to Mo Farah. I think they would have absolutely done it in this situation where his last event was the 10,000 or his last event was the 5,000. It's harder to imagine it with Farah because while his wins were all spectacular, it was all like sit and kick usually. Yeah. Safan Hassan, like she in Doha, 
she was just taking command of those races when she did the 15 10k double she was just blowing people out basically she was in another area code Farah's margins to the next best person was never as big so i think i think he still could have gotten he would have acquitted himself well he would have he wouldn't have embarrassed himself out there but and i think he probably would have won one gold but i think he might he definitely would have put he would have struggled the 15 i think he would have put the other gold in jeopardy so this is to go gold gold bronze i just don't i don't think we're gonna i don't think we're gonna see it unless Hassan does it again in the in the near future do you think if the 1500 do you think if they she did the 1500 and like she had the if it was no overlap and the order went 15 5k 10k where she got to do the 1500 completely fresh do you yeah. think there was any world where she would have won that 15 to get three golds instead of two it's interesting like you bring one. that up because it's interesting you bring that up because one thing i liked about this result is that it left no debate about whether she should not have run the 15 because if she got silver here you'd say oh if she didn't run the 15 she could have run the 10k like the broadcast were saying that but you still managed even though there's basically no questions left to be asked to find a question to be asked which was how did you how do you get her to three golds i don't think so i'm with you i saw that monaco race it looked an awful lot like the race that we saw in in tokyo Mir was really solid there for silver i think kip Yegon just is really good in these championship races as we mentioned i think she's the greatest female or female miler 1500 meter runner of all time so i don't think she did i do like that hassan did it though because she needed to be challenged if she had just run the five and the ten and got two golds like she did we wouldn't have seen her push to her absolute limit and see what she could get out of it like the double would have and it's weird to say but the double would have been too easy for her so she needed to do this yeah. to 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 test herself and you're right that not all athletes like you mentioned before certain athletes there's not a double available to them because of the event that they run it's just not it's not like the javelin throwers can't come back and, and do the shot it's just not it's not practical but she's lucky enough to be in an event grouping where this is at least a distinct possibility now it's exceedingly rare for very good reasons so she but it's fun to watch athletes have the ability to show fully what they're capable of and when you see someone just win one title you know you see a thing mo run that 155 now she got to come back later in the four by four but you'd really want to see okay can we get a thing mo in a quarter here like how good is she going to look in, in in a 400 like you want to see that the people not just win by comfortable margins but you want to see them how do they respond when when they're pushed when they're a little more tired when things aren't going exactly perfect for them and that's what this triple allowed us to see it pulled everything that Hassan had out and showed us exactly what type of runner she is and she's one of the greatest of all time that's what it revealed like this is we're gonna remember this forever I think like like what she did the competition she beat to I talked about that before you know she beat the 10,000 meter world record holder left her in her dust today after running two events. I got an idea for you, right? Mm. This is the, called the Safanathon, right? Hassanathon, whatever, Safan, Hassanathon. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the triple, but technically she didn't do it, right? It's not technically a triple because one of the races she got third. How about this? How about she changed the triple she goes for? 
instead of trying to do the 15, 5, and 10, just mm. do the 10, the 5, and the 3K steeplechase. I think mm. if you give Stefan Hassan a year to learn how to get over barriers, I think she could pull off that type of triple, right? We know she can do a mm-hmm. 5, 10. I think seeing what she did in those 1,500-meter prelims and finals, I think that you could translate that into a fast 3K steeple, and I could see her pulling off an actual triple with three golds instead of just two and a, and a bronze if she would learn yeah. how to steeple. I mean, you think you'd see more steeple and then another event doublers, right? Because I guess a yeah. lot of the steeplers well, stay. They like go into steeple and they stay. But you you think there would be someone out there who's a dominant 5K runner or 1,500-meter runner who's like, hey, it's 3,000 meters. I can do that distance. Just got to learn how to get over the barriers. So maybe Simon yeah. Son will can uh, – Learn how to steeple. That's that's a triple I was. Well, I saw some some story. I forget where it came from, but that she was thinking with along with her coach that they might even try the eight ten thousand double at this meet. Which at that point, you're just you're just trying to please like the, the content people at that point. Like you're just it's it's amazing. It's like, but it, it seems like a a thing that you like debate with your your friend like you don't think it would actually be discussed like hey what's the widest range you can get between two different distances and still win gold like hey let me eight and the ten that sounds cool like but apparently they were actually considering it which obviously would have been completely nuts to do so i don't take anything off the table with with Stefan hassan steeple you risk the injury with the barriers so that's that's a bit that's a bit tough but I, and I don't think she'll go back down to the eight now because winning gold in the thing Mo era seems seems foolish. But she's gonna come up with she's gonna come up with a new thing to challenge herself, and that's what's fun. Marathon. I did want to mention. Yeah, I mean, five ten marathon maybe just do the Zatapec triple because that her triple got compared to his because he went gold gold gold. But again, I'm not taking anything off the table anymore with with Safan Hassan. So we should mention in fifth Francine Niansaba. Speaking of 810K, former 800 meter star who was not permitted to compete in events from 400 meters uh, through the mile and got DQ'd in that 5,000, she ends up getting fifth in the 10K, runs 3041. So, how about that? And then the Americans go uh, 10th with Emily Sisson, 12th with Krisha Schweizer, and 13th with Alicia Monson. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah. Surprised to see Nian Saba do that well. I mean, she ran it, and it's a quick time, 30 41. Think about this. She yeah. wasn't thinking 10K until for like only, she was, imagine like telling, you know, uh, Trayvon Bromel, hey, you have two years to, to run a 144 800. <laughs> He's like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to be able to run one. Yeah, I'm an elite athlete and all, but I'm not going to run a 144 800. That's basically what Nian Saba is doing. After being an 800 meter runner, she's like, "I'll oh, go run a 30-41-10k." This is yeah, it's wild. Um, but yeah, this, I was, I was this, impressed with your finish there in the top five. Well, this this proves our theory. It's a good thing they went out fast because she definitely could hang with that pace. If it got tactical, that would have been that would have been crazy. So if if G'day didn't push the pace and it lagged because the heat, then she'd have been she'd have been right there. All right, let's go to the. The 1500, men's 1500 here. Uh, Jacob Ingebrigtsen, 
you called it, Gordon. You said going back several months now, maybe even last year, you said Jacob could beat Timothy Chariot. He does it. He's now one for 13 all time against Chariot. This is his first <laughs> victory. Ingebrigtsen went to the front early on, got the pace going. They went through at 56, but then Chariot hopped right to the front of the train as expected. This was quick. They go through 800 in 151. A lot of other people are going up there to join Chariot, but he's still he's still pushing the pace with some quick laps. 247 through 1200. Josh Kerr puts his name into the hat there. But Ingebrigtsen was latched on. He's latched on the entire way. And with 100 to go, he makes his move, runs a 328. 328 to get gold ahead of Chariot. This race was fast from top to bottom. Everybody but Chariot in the top six got a PB. So the fastest race of Ingebrigtsen's life. And Josh Kerr almost gets past Chariot to get the bronze medal. The podium, not wholly that surprising when you look at how fast people have run this whole year and the type of race we expected. But still, when you're 0 for 13 against somebody going into an Olympic final and you get the upset, it's it's at least a little bit shocking because we just have not been used to Chariot losing big races over the past couple of years. I just feel like Jacob Ingebrigtsen was, I'm, not trying, I'm trying to come up with an example. He was like a, a fire hose that was just spraying at like a crack in the wall, right? And that <laughs> crack was holding away, the, was holding the water in for as long as possible. This fire hose was him coming on the scene at age 18 and 17, running fast mm -hmm. all-time age mark, making finals, doing well at Euros, and like then challenging the best at Monaco Diamond Leagues, finishing third in a bunch of races. And he constantly was throwing more and more pressure on the elites of the elites at this event. And finally, the dam broke. And I think now that the dam has broken, that he is able to become victorious in the ultimate event, which is the 1500-meter final at the Olympic Games. It's just going to, like, I don't see anyone being this guy for at least, I think he can go on a run. I think he's been waiting to break through. He finally has it. Chariot cracked. And now it's, it's, it's going to be smooth sailing from here because, like, he's only 20 years old, right? He's not even 21. Is he 21 or is Correct. he 20? 20 years 20. old. You, he is, he's shown that he's able – he's now gone through the, the gauntlet of, you know, failures and successes, big PBs, big breakthroughs. He's, it's, the sky's the limit now for him, and I think he's going to go on a big run for his next two to three years of continuing being the gold medal favorite and most likely always achieving that gold medal because I just – I don't see Terry coming back to being able to – like, in 2022, I would give Ingebrigtsen 75% chance of winning. All right, let's calm down a little bit. Let's calm down what? a little bit. This I mean, is his first winner. His first winner. Well, there's other guys there, too. This was a deep This was a deep race. I agree he's the Dude, he looked like he future. was jogging across that finish line. I don't know about that. He wasn't I don't close. know about that. I think, tactically, what Chariot did makes sense. And keep in mind, he's only 25 as well, too. I think tactically what Cherry was, it was consistent with what he's done. But I, I wonder, basically, 
Jacob played this perfectly because he went out, got the pace going. So he, so it was going to be honest, which is what you want to do if you've run sub 1250 for a 5K and you're really good in Diamond Leagues. But then Chariot, just, he insists on leading. So then Chariot's doing all the work and Ingerbritsen's just sitting on his shoulder, sitting on his shoulder until 100 meters to go. I think Chariot's strategy would have worked a little bit better in, in the 2019 era when there was more of a gap. But now we have the situation where everybody's so much closer. So those minor things start to play in. I'm seeing this tweet here from Cathal Dennehy. Timothy Chariot confirms his coach spoke to Jacob Ingerbritsen's coach slash dad ahead of the final and plan was made to cooperate to share the pace in the 1500 meter final. Chariot said he felt his left hamstring ever since the semifinals and during the race. Okay, so they made a plan, which was good. Would you call that sharing the pace though? Hey, you do the first 400 and then I'll do everything up until the final 100. You do, you do zero to 400 and then I'll do 500 to 1400. Because me, was, I guess he, let's see, Jake, yeah, Jake, second, 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 second. I mean, he's right there. He's right there. He wasn't far off the pace, but Chariot there was doing the lion's share of the work. I, think, I don't blame, I I don't blame Inga Britson for doing it, but but I don't. Sharing is tough to do in a 1500. It's not a 5K where you have enough time to settle in. I guess sharing means the first lap. I think that conversation was, hey, if we make this a sub 330 race, we're guaranteed one, two. Or we're both, not well, maybe not one, two, but we're both guaranteed medals. If we let someone else take over and this becomes, you know, a Sensowitz type race in 2016 where the winning time is like 340 or 335, they're not, they yeah. might not guarantee one, two. So I think they were like, hey, you and me, we know we're better than everyone. If we make it sub 330, our odds go drastically up and then let the best man yeah. win. So let's, let's make this a dual meet and not a, a you know, a 12 team, five, 12, 12, 12 race. 12 athlete final. That's what I think. Well, it almost mean. didn't. It, it almost didn't. It almost didn't work because Kerr almost got Chariot there at the end. So it almost was gold and bronze. Okay. Well, if that was the, if that's the thinking, makes a tad more sense, I believe. I mean, I think it, I think you're right. I think overall, yes, it makes sense. I just don't know. Did they draw straws for who was going to do the first lap and who was going <laughs> to do everything else? Because Chariot, he does seem more comfortable in front, just like, the way his stride is and what he's used to running, like he does seem more comfortable in front. So I would get, maybe he would say, Hey, it's, it's fine. I would rather be in that position. But when you look at how that race played out and Jacob was super duper strong over the last hundred, you'd think, okay, the, the better chance would have been or a different, a different chance. And maybe it would have given you only a tiny bit better shot at, at winning. And you see this in hindsight. So obviously it's impossible to predict, but if he was, if he didn't have to to put as much pressure because i he went what i mean they went 56 56 for the open then chariot took over and dropped a 54 and then it went to about a 56 again so he was not lagging in those in those laps it wasn't as if he took over and then slowed the thing down it's funny we get team tactics and then they're between norway and kenya and then in the high jump they're between Qatar and Italy. Those are the two greatest moments of teamwork, I think, these entire Olympics. Hey, 
maybe it was the pandemic. Everyone was sick of being all by themselves. It's just the way to come together, cross country, mm -hmm. generational coming together, young and old, you know, East Coast, West Coast. That's what we're seeing. Um, we got to talk a little bit about Josh Kerr. Dude. Yeah. Sixth in, sixth in 2019. He was kind of, you know, you were wondering if, like, if he was going to be a consistently, like, hey, he's always going to be able to make a final, but I don't know if he's ever really going to be top three caliber, right? He can, you know, always maybe one time get fourth, but he's going to be fourth to tenth, you know, notoriously, and always have, like, a, a solid PB. But this was him saying, like, no, I'm not going to be complacent with just being a, a good top 12 type guy in the world. I want to be able mm -hmm. to start putting my name on the record books, have like a Nick, a Nick Willis type career where you can look back and say, I have multiple medals. And I think this is a very impressive medal that he got. This was a fast race. There was no like fluky tacticals that got him to third. And he almost, he mm -hmm. almost caught Terry, which he mentioned, but I was very impressed yeah. with the massive PB. He timed his season perfectly. I remember watching, he did a, a time trial um, mm -hmm. where he negative split like a one, I, I wish I could remember the, the time he ran, but he negative split like a 150, which I thought was interesting to kind of practice how to like close hard off of a, a hard pace. And mm -hmm. yeah, look at the progression here on the screen. We'll put that up. I remember when he broke that collegiate 1,500-meter record in Azusa. He's in 335-01 there in 2018. And then just three years later, he's already running sub-330 and getting yeah. Olympic medals yeah. out of it. Very impressive for Josh Kerr. It's always cool to see an NCA athlete, like, find a way to, to keep that success moving into the, the next level at the Olympic level. Because a lot of times, dominant NCA milers or NCA distance runners in general, they kind of just plateau out, right? You kind of realize they're only as good as their surroundings. But Josh Kerr being able to go to that next step, which is the hardest step to take. It's easy to go mm -hmm. from high school to college because the training just is so much better. But to go from college to Olympic medalist is just like, it takes more than just good coaching. It takes like unique talent. And so Josh mm -hmm. Kerr to quickly go into the top three, very impressive. And I'm a big fan of Josh Kerr. And and you had a situation where in, in Doha, he didn't get a medal, but he ran his best race there, I thought. He ran fast time. He's a big race runner, Josh Kerr. And he's one of those guys we've been watching the last couple of years. He'll, he's not afraid to push the pace. So he knew that this was the type of race that was going to play out in Tokyo, and he was completely prepared for it. And we've just had such a huge change in the 1500 over the last couple of years where you had everything was he was predictably slow and tactical and then now we're going to the just basically from the gun it's to the point they don't even need i mean they don't need rabbits it like you could have a situation where like the world record is is under threat in a, in a race as long as the track is fast and the conditions are good but just with all these guys like you put Stuart mcswain in a race he's going to go hard. You put Timothy Chariot in a race, he's going to go hard. Kurt is going to go hard. Ingerbritz is going to stick right there, and he's not afraid to lead. Nobody is afraid to lead in that top tier of, of milers right now in the world, and this is the result. And I think Chariot kind of started that, where he just was like, hey, I'm better than everybody, 
So I'm not going to play any games. I'm going to make this a 1500. I'm not going to make it an 800 or a thousand or a 400. I'm just going to run an 800. And everybody's followed his lead because that's what you've needed to do to catch up. I remember in Doha, in the post race, people were basically saying, yeah, we knew we were running for second. And that wasn't the mentality here. The mentality was a chariot set the standard. Now we need to follow. And Ingebrigtsen was in that 15 in Doha. Granted, he had run the five already as well too. So he knew that. Josh Kerr was in that race. He knew exactly what to expect. And yeah, what a, what a, what a big time performance there. Great Britain gets three into the, into the final and comes away with, with a medal there. Farther down on the list, I'll just... Well, well before you get to that, before you get, Travis, can you put back yeah. up that Castle yeah. quote of the Rule 40? So uh, Castle tweeted out, um, Josh Kerr was asked about um, his sponsor, Brooks, and due to Rule 40, he's not allowed to say anything. So he says, am I allowed to mention these guys? He's told no. And then he says, the brand that he just said is bloody awesome. They believed in me when I was in the NCAA. I'm very proud of my decision to go with them. And that goes like, hey, man, Danny Mackey just coached uh, an Olympic bronze medalist in the 1500. Mm-hmm. That Brooks, you know, the, some people, you know, we kind of think about, like, where do you go for training? Like, everyone wants to go to a Bowerman Track Club, right, or NOP during their time when they were up. Uh, and Brooks Beast maybe – wasn't considered like the number one choice for everyone. But now Danny Mackey can sit back and be like, hey guys, if you work, if you have the talent and you work hard, I can coach you to run sub 330 and be an Olympic bronze medalist. I'm just yeah. so thrilled for Danny Mackey. It's, it's, it's wild. Um, but uh, big up to the Brooks Beasts, getting it done. Um, I'm excited to see what they can do. I mean, they also have some other guys like Henry Wynn was running pretty well this season for mm-hmm. the U.S. Um, obviously, it's hard to make that U.S. team, but uh, maybe there's a college kid out there who's now thinking, "Hey, maybe I maybe well, Brooks Beast is, is is my path because clearly it, it works for some people." Yeah, his success as a pro was not guaranteed. Yeah, he was an NCAA champion and he broke the collegiate record and he ran third three thirty five. But we've seen people who have won titles and not necessarily run as fast as he did because he ran three thirty five, but who have had really good college careers and it doesn't translate in the mile. Like that's yeah. happened often. And for him, and then you saw Oliver Hoare in this final, he mixed it up too. He really put himself out there, ended up fading a bit too. For them to translate and be you know, big time pro runners is something you can't take take for granted. On that Rule 40 thing, I'm wondering like, what's the most creative way, if you can't say the name, can you get the reporters to say the name back to you and be like, oh, that's awesome. Like if you said, hey, who's an underrated character in Shawshank Redemption? And they say, oh, Brooks. And you'd be like, yeah, that was my favorite character. That character really helped me prepare <laughs> for today. I carried it. I, you know, I just, just can't tell you how much that character was better than all the other characters. I'm wondering if there's a way uh, to get, I mean, he played that pretty well though, because he, he knew the rule, didn't want to violate the rule, but then he said it without saying their name. That was pretty, pretty well done there by Kerr. Tactically sound on the track and with interviews, Josh Kerr. There you go. Um, and then you mentioned, obviously, there was one athlete in this field that we were kind of all interested to see how he would perform. Cole Hawker making his first final still in college at University of Oregon. Um, had to set a PB just to qualify for the, the final. Set the new PB, runs 331.40, mm-hmm. um, which 
you know, in any other year, that would that, that does the older Olympic record. I, obviously, mm-hmm. everyone broke the Olympic record this year because this is a fast race. But 331, that kind of reminds me of, like, what Andrew Weeding did. Remember when he had this wild 1,500-meter PB mm-hmm. in Monaco? Um, but th- to do this, in though, in a championship final, I feel like has a lot more cachet to it because it wasn't like a perfect time trial type race. It's like, hey, we're trying to medal. I'm excited for what Cole Hawker is going to do next. This is a good result for him. He didn't blow up and like, you know, finish like dead last. He put himself in it. He didn't let the fast pace affect his performance. He now goes into next year with a 331 PB with experience of going through multiple rounds from NCAAs to trials to Olympics. Um, He's going to be one, he's going to be very hard to beat in 2022, especially on the U.S. circuit after Mm -hmm. having all of this experience all the way ending up with a sixth place finish at the Olympics. I mean, Josh Kerr, he was sixth in 2019. Then two years later, he's a bronze medalist. Cole Hawker, maybe he's the next guy to go from sixth to, you know, a a, a medalist. To the podium, yeah. If you look look at that race, he was – he started in the back, which is not unusual for him. And then when the, when the, when it really broke up towards the middle and listen, you go 56, 54, it's just tough to, to keep up. And you're wondering, man, I think, is he going to run the, the, the kick? Is Hawker going to be able to close? Now he wasn't with that lead pack and all the focus was on what Ingebrigtsen was doing, but he closed well. He was in, yeah, he was in, let's see, ninth at the first hundred, but then he was in, so these are the 100-meter segments for him. 12th, 11th, 12th, 12th, 11th, 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 10th, 10th, 9th, 9th, 7th, and then 7th, and then 6th. So on that last lap, he was in he was in like 9th or, ninth or 10th place in that back half of the race and still was able to get 6th and goes 331. Uh, any chance that he stays in college? I mean, he shouldn't. But he also, he can if he wants. So my saying he shouldn't should not have any impact on his decision because he should do what he wants to do. If he wants to live the college life one more year, go for it. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing like the money's going to be there whether he leaves now or later. I highly doubt the contract that he signs in the – in June of 2022 would be any different than the contract he signs now. I don't think anything could happen. Like, even if you were to get hurt in 2022 mm-hmm. in, in like indoor or something like that, I don't think any sponsors can be like, Oh yeah, his career is over. A 20 year old is hurt. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's going to be fine. No matter what. I think his mm-hmm. thing he's probably thinking about is like, Hey, cross country. That's a fun, like, team element. Super tier potentially can come back as well. They do have a good transfer in Aaron Benfeld from Cincinnati. So they have a good big three. You throw in some of the other guys who maybe, like, Jackson Messler might come back or something like that. They could find a way to get a good solid group of five guys that could compete yeah. for a national team title, which I think is really the only reason you would want to come back. Because other than that, like, hey, man, like, you're, you got you got a great like college career ahead of you. I'm not college great a pro career ahead of you. Um, whenever you want to start focusing on that, go for it. So, I think he 
I think he will go pro. And I think mm-hmm. college cross country isn't worth it, man. Just take the extra eight months of cash. Like, who cares? Well, your per diem and cross is going to be like 50 bucks a day. Your per diem, when you have a contract for an extra eight months, it's going to be a lot more than 50 bucks a day. If there's one thing we learned from these championships is that no success is, is guaranteed, too. We've seen a lot of people, young people, who look like their career was going to be gold, 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 and then now they're in their mid, mid-20s mid and they, they haven't been able to replicate their performance. So, yeah, you want to strike while it's hot. One thing that would change would be just the amount of races he would run. Who made this graphic? Is this Travis? Did you make this graphic? Or this is Gordon? This isn't Gordon's font. So I, this is not, I don't think this is a Gordon spreadsheet here. But um, I guess we can throw that up there. Ingebrigtsen ran 11 races this year. Chariot ran seven. Kerr ran nine. Hawker ran 27 races. So basically, he he ran as about uh, he he ran the same amount of races as the other three combined. When you add up the podium, Ingebrigtsen, Chariot, and and Kerr. Hawker ran 19 outdoors, and he ran eight indoor races. Um. 12 outdoor 1500s. Yeah, you add up all those rounds and that makes sense. So, but hey, some people, that works well for them. And then you get get to the pros and you don't race as much and and you stagnate a bit. I'll be interested to see where he goes. I would guess he would stick with the same coach, but who knows? Who knows? But he's clearly at the level now where there's there's absolutely no no question. All right. And obviously, there is name, image, likeness, right? So he could make money in, like, other yeah. ways. But I think there's also the factor, like, do you want to, like, go to school and, like, go to class yeah. and have to deal with that and making sure you're academically eligible, blah, 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 blah. Like, I guess you may want to still stay in school because you want to have a degree. I mean, he still has a few yeah. more years. But I think it's going to be, hey, do you want – he can make money either way. You probably can make more money signing a legitimate actual Nike contract or Adidas contract or whatever contract versus making money off your Instagram and T-shirt sales and this, that, and the other thing. Um, mm-hmm. So he has a way to still make money off of his likeness, but is this going to be like a – I think it's going to be like a Tim Tebow situation, right? Tim Tebow mm-hmm. could have gone pro, uh, but he loved playing at University of Florida so much. He's – it's like, no, I'm coming back one more year, even though mm. I'm a first-round draft pick. Screw it. Let's go. Um, I think he's going to basically weigh, like, the love of running for Oregon versus the next step of his inevitable career, which would be being a professional athlete. Well, this will be a true test in the track and field world of NIL because you have Hawker, who already had – pretty good name recognition within the track and field community, take a huge step up after the college season, winning trials and then performing as well as he did in the 1500s. You have to see, you have to think, oh, his stock is is pretty high right now, higher than virtually any other athlete who hasn't already been signed. So which route does he go? What sort of things does he consider when he's making this determination? Is it the freedom to choose your schedule? Yeah. How much can you make in NIL versus how much can you make with a straight, just quote unquote, traditional shoe contract? Because he's probably the most, he would command the most money 
you think, at least on the men's side, of anybody out there right now. And this is the first year, this is the first off season where we've had NIL in place to make that determination. But here's what he has to consider from a competitive standpoint. Yeah, he's only 20. Do you know who's only about 260 days older than him? <laughs> Jacob Ingerbritson. Yeah. And I, I know Ingerbritson's clock probably started sooner because he's been running at such a high level for so long. But the rest of the world doesn't wait for you. And yeah. you, you go from being you go from being the, the, the younger guy to being, okay, now I'm at the peak. Now I need to be turning out these medals to, hey, there's like three people who are running faster than me who are younger, right? Pretty quick. That comes at you yeah. very quickly. And even I, we talked about this in the 5,000 with Grant Fisher. And then you're like, okay, wait, how old is Joshua Chepti guy? How old is Jacob Kiplimo? <laughs> and, and it's not like there's not going to be a new 21-year-old from one of these countries that's going to pop up. So can't take any success for granted. Can't take any medal for granted. So, I'll, yeah, I'll be interested to see how Hawker positions himself the next couple of years. Field event time. Field event time. Uh, we'll start with devastation for you, Gordon in the javelin. Johannes Vetter, who I called, I looked it up, what I said in the preview, which is why you should laugh whenever I say anything like this. I called him the lock of all locks. Now, I still would have taken Krauser over him, but I literally wrote down lock of all locks because he was over 90 so many times. He comes out with a series of 82-52, then foul, foul. So he doesn't get his last three throws, misses that by less than a meter. Meanwhile, Niraj Chopra, in the second round, throws 87-58. That throw holds ahead of Vajacek and Vesely of the Czech Republic. So Chopra wins the first ever, first ever gold for India in a track event. And first track medal since 1900. Looked like a typo, but I saw it out there wow. in a couple spots. First track medal. Uh, since 1900 and the first gold. Here we go. Let's put it up. The Olympics account tweeted it. First Indian to win an athletics medal and only the second to win an individual medal. So in track and field, never been done before for gold. You would think India would, uh, it's such a large country, right, population-wise, that they would be able to find a way to have a better way of developing their their athletes. I guess they just, they don't focus. I mean, they're probably really good in cricket, right? They're probably good in other mm -hmm. events that, you know, maybe some other countries, you know, put more focus in. But uh, it was pretty cool seeing him uh, win. Uh, even if I'm going to lose, I lost, I lost two hundred dollars on that bet. I would have won three hundred and forty <laughs> if because it was a parlay. Uh, so upset. I was like, come on, Vetter and Grant Holloway ma made me lose <laughs> out on seven hundred dollars of winnings. It's like, come on. Anyway, I would be positive. If those two hit, I would be positive right now. That's all I'm saying. I would be positive if yeah, Grant Holloway and Yaha has a better one. Anyway, but regardless, back to uh, uh, Choppa. I was impressed. It's pretty cool to see, you know, a guy who everyone was overthinking. And think about, like, what your mindset is when you're going into the final three throws in the lead and you know Johannes better isn't left to, to throw three more times. You're probably freaking out. You're like, holy crap. 
that's the one event everyone thought they were fighting for second. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you're in the lead with three throws remaining, and you know there's a legitimate chance you might actually win gold. So that was probably yeah. a, a wild final three throws for him. And his second throw held up as the ultimate best mark. Um, so it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a weird thing with the the throws and the the horizontal jumps. You're just waiting. Like you could put a big one out there and you're thinking, I could win gold if everybody else just sucks the rest of the way. <laughs> like, I yeah. may not need to do anything better than what I just did. Now, or someone could match me and now I have to go better than I've ever done before too. It's gotta be a weird mental state. And they always support each other too in the field events. They're always over there, you know, rhythmically clapping in the jumps and dapping people up and stuff. I'm sure there's exceptions out there, but your fate is so tied to them and you have time. It's not like a 1500 where you're like watching someone go by and you're, you know, you're, you run the, and you're comparing times or something like that. So you're in the race with them. So you don't have time to think about that. You're sitting there on the long jump runway or watching the jab competition. You're just like, Hey, how about you throw a 70 meter throw this time? Cause then I could win gold. But yeah, congrats to Niraj Chopra making history for India. High jump, high jump. We had a uh, pretty pretty fun back and forth competition there in the women's in the women's high jump. Ultimately, Maria Lasaskine, who went on that crazy win streak a couple of years ago, but wasn't the clear cut favorite going into to this year's championship. She goes over at. 204, which was the winning height ahead of Nicola McDermott of Australia. And then Yaroslav Mahuchik of Ukraine gets bronze ahead of her teammate Garashenko. Eleanor Patterson of Australia gets fifth. And then Vashti Cunningham of the US finishes in sixth. I thought she had a, a podium chance here, but Gordon, it's uh, Lasaskine and the Russian Olympic Committee getting the gold medal. It's wild. Look at these results. Lashiskine, she won mm. at 204, but that jump at 196, she made on her third yep. attempt. If she doesn't hit that third attempt, she finishes 10th in this competition. So she went from one jump away, one miss away from being 10th, to then, you know, going back on a run and being able to ultimately clear 204. It's wild. It took mm -hmm. her three attempts at 196, but only two attempts at 204. Yeah, reminds me of women's pole vault with Najat almost missed at the opening height and then gets the gold yeah. medal. Maybe there's something to it. You start to appreciate the other the other jumps more. And yeah, Mahuchik almost went out at, at 198, which, I mean, Cunningham didn't clear that, so that wouldn't have wouldn't have helped her. But yeah, it always seems like two, two meters, you're in, you're in business here. Anything less than two meters, it's, it's going to get a bit, a bit tricky. Interesting to see just the geographic distribution here. Four of the top five in the women's high jump is Ukraine and Australia. It's just like, how did that happen? That's just a weird thing. Like two high jump focused countries. Track is weird, man. Track is weird. That is one thing we've learned. Anything else you want to touch on before we go? Because I got to get prepped and ready for the marathon show tonight. Because Lincoln and I are running it back with the men's marathon. Uh, I'm just hoping that you... Give a good luck charm to Galen Rupp on the broadcast. It's if he wins, I win. And America wins, and we all win, and everything is great. 
So that's all that matters. So. All right. Yeah, so we got these splits. We we can put these splits up before we, we go. Split? Here's the the four by four splits. Cherry forty four two, Norman forty four zero, Deadman forty four point oh one, and then Rye Benjamin forty three forty. Did anybody else split anything like a forty three forty? So you have Terence Agard of Netherlands forty three seven on the second leg. Thebe. Or sorry, uh, McWallis is 43-8. See, I thought Cherry handed off before him, though. Didn't it look like Cherry handed off in the lead? You got a 43-6 yeah, well, here for you know, Zalewski. It's weird. Nobody's anchor leg was close good. to Rye Benjamin. Yeah, you you could tell. Nobody's anchor leg was close to Rye Benjamin. Everybody's – there's a lot of people running really fast on that on that second leg there. But you look at all these nobody, – nobody anchored sub-44. Am I right? Yeah, no neck except for four. It was all Benjamin. Yeah. Yeah, which makes sense. So you look at this though, and you think, okay, maybe that, maybe that world record is possible, because you have you have three, and they're all forty-four lows, but it's not impossible to imagine another sub forty-four. Norman, now that was on an anchor leg, right? The famous forty-three-zero split that he did in Sacramento. A little bit different set of circumstances here, but. You get two forty-three mid to lows on a team, and and like I said, you're in business. All right, Gordon's Gordon's like pulling out of the McDonald's parking lot. We got to go. That's it for today's starting show. Thanks car. everybody for tuning in. No, Gordon's starting the car. It means it's time to go. We got one more live show tonight, five p.m. Central Time, men's marathon. Whoa, that's loud. Thanks to Alon for producing. Thanks to Travis for producing. Gordon, uh, good luck with your marathon picks. I'll talk to you on Monday. See everybody else tonight.